in a world of podcasts. One rises in the night to destroy them all. The Elder God in an ocean of noise. The Cthulhu of the airwaves. This is Spoiler Country. Welcome back to Spoiler Country. My name is Kenrick. Today on the show, we are lucky and uh, just so pleased to have uh, somebody who, if you're an indie comics fan, you're in the sphere of, oh, we have all these collaboration groups. If you're an indie comic book creator, um, there's discords, there's Facebook chats, there's all this stuff. And Dave and I met through the, actually Dave and I met on Blue Sky, which is weird, um, of all the places to, <laughs> to get it, weird. <laughs> to, to reach out and start talking to each other. But that's what it was. And then we found out, oh, we're friends with these all these same people. And he's got a new Kickstarter out called Armageddon Quest. So we're going to kind of go over everything, share it, and talk about the book, how Dave got into it. And uh, you also might know him with his wine and pairing show, uh, wine and comics pairing show. Is that right? Yes. That's correct. Yes. yes. <laughs> and uh, it's a great podcast, a great YouTube show. He's got some awesome guests and they talk about comic books. They talk about uh, life and then they pair their, their the book that they're talking about with a wine. And Dave has amazing insights on wine. Much I love wine. I love drinking wine. I know lots of different types of wine, but I do not have the knowledge that Dave has when it comes to wine. So if you're going to have a dinner party, good guy to ask. Hey, yes. what do you think of this? He'll probably be like, oh, you should go with this, this, and this. Also, loves to edit. He is kind of a, you're, you're kind of a man of all ages lately. A yeah. Bit of a, a renaissance of, guy. Yes, 100%. Not that I love all aspects of the renaissance that I'm I'm deep within at this yeah. point. Like some of the some of the marketing, I would love to shuffle off to a Blake Morgan, a Blake's Buzz out there. <laughs> I just can't do it yet. But uh, yeah. I'm, but it's nice because I think when you're hands on about these things, it's good to learn for yourself how things work, how it doesn't, what the timelines are. How much, man, how many man hours it actually takes to do every piece yep. of something like creating a comic, publishing a comic, uh, doing a fundraiser. Oh, my God. And then if I do ever hire someone, I'm going to have empathy. I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to be one of those people that's just going to be like, why aren't you just do getting it. me a thousand followers? I don't understand. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm going to be like, no, it's fucking hard. And the fact that you got me five followers, you moved heaven and earth to get me five fucking followers you moved the so needle. This is great yeah yeah dave baxter <laughs> welcome By to the, the show buddy <laughs> <laughs> oh good to be here uh, i'm glad to have you on it's been um it's been a minute i came on your show i think october oh. maybe september yeah september, october, october. november something like that yeah whenever whenever your supernatural baby detective the first kickstarter was still happening yeah. um yep. yeah and Which we paired wine with Supernatural Baby Detective. So Which go watch that. Uh, yeah, and find it. And all because of us, I swear. That's um, right. So That's right. <laughs> I was on the so cusp. Go, go find that episode. Find out over. what wine we paired with Supernatural Baby Detective. <laughs> Armageddon Quest, man. Let's get into it for a little bit. Because um, you and I are both chatterboxes. We will end up talking until the cows come home if people let us. And we might skip over why we're here. So I want to get into Armageddon Quest, how you found it, 
what drew you to it? What was what was the catalyst that made you fall in love with this story? Because this is something that came out in the mid 80s to the early 90s. And you loved it so much. You It's out of print. So you said, I'm going to bring this back. I'm going to talk to the creator. We're going to bring this back. And you and your cohort, Dallas, um, who was awesome. I love Dallas. He's, he's, he has great questions. He really does. Good insights. Does. And um, I'm just so curious. how wh- Why was this the one to put all your, to put your money where your mouth is, so to speak? So Armageddon Quest is... Um, for those unfamiliar with the comic, which is everybody, um, for those <laughs> unfamiliar with the comic, this is an actual classic 1980s underground black and white comic. It was created between 1984 and 1992. Um, it had a brief flickering moment of, of spotlight where it was published in its entirety um, by Sirius Publishing, the guys who were behind like Poison Elves and Dawn and Cry for Dawn, um, which yeah. were very popular comics back in the 90s. Um, oh, yeah. Joe Dawn Michael Lisner, huge, yeah, yeah, and the artist of Cry for Dawn did the covers of those uh, OG Armageddon Quest uh, graphic novels back in the day. Oh, They're cool. really beautiful covers. They don't really represent the work very well, which is one of the things. Like the the style yeah. of the insides um, is a very different from like the lush, fully painted, um, you know, uh, stained glass window style of art that you're going to get from Joe, from Joseph Michael Lisner. So yeah. I definitely wanted to correct that this time around and be like, I wanted covers that really represented what the interiors of the comic were going to look like. Um, well, that he's said, very, those covers uh, are beautiful. The guy was above, it was a little bit ahead of his time on his art because yeah. what he's did then is popular. Now you look at Nickelodeon, you look at Rick and Morty, you look at, yes. you know, adventure time and all the, you know, those are all in that vein of what his right. style of art is. I agree. I think one of the reasons uh, I'm confident that we can find a new audience for this comic book these days is that, you know, the readership, I think the curiosity, one, the fact that it is a artifact of comics history is something that people are actually very curious about. And the fact that this comic exists, it's 900 pages all told. The entire series is That's done. a lot. Um, our first issue, which is on Kickstarter right now, is 52 pages. The first 52 that we're putting out, that's the first chapter, the first quote-unquote book. Um, and I think the fact that this comic, it came out, uh, Sirius went under shortly after they released the book. So it sort of had its brief flickering moment in the spotlight and then disappeared. I mean, I've, I've been looking for people who know about this work for decades and no one does. And it's killed me (laughs) to this day. And this is my favorite comic of all time. It is my number one. If you ask me what are my top 10 comics, my top five, my top three, this is number one. And it has been since I read it in the nineties and nothing has taken its place. So how old are you? How old are you when you picked it up? Middle school. I I think seventh grade. Um, I, so I would have to do the exact year math on what exact age that put me in, but it would, you know, it was either sixth or seventh grade. Cause I know where I lived at the time, which was Northern Virginia. And we were only there for sixth and seventh grade. I think it was seventh grade. And yeah. it, it's fun because even if it was seventh grade, you know, you're still pretty young then. And we, the nineties were a time when not safe for work comics. They're like, there was a lot of hullabaloo about like, don't let kids see 
any mature readers because Vertigo was on the rise, the mature readers in yeah. DC. You were having Marvel was even experimenting a little bit at the time. That did not last. But they had this Marvel UK imprint that was mature readers only. Um, Liam Sharp. Marvel had the magazines. And magazines. But the magazines weren't in comic shops mostly, which yeah, is why they got away, right? right? Um, but in comic shops, for it's weird to me because they're like, but it's for kids. And I'm like, were kids ever in comic shops? I mean, really? I, we're, how many children spent a lot of time in comic shops, especially by the 90s? I'm like, by the 90s, yeah. it was mostly older teens and, and adults. Like, yeah. let's just be honest with ourselves here. We had already aged into that and the kids weren't coming that much anymore. Um, I don't think I went to a comic shop until I was fourth or fifth grade or something like that. And I was only there occasionally. Like, I couldn't drive myself. I could only go yeah. there when, you know, my mom would take me there. And my mom was not, we, we did not live a lifestyle and she was not, the kind of person where it was like, oh, I'll take you whenever you ask, darling. It's no, that's right. right. So it was I got to go once in a while. Um, but even though that was a time period where there was a lot of freakouts of, you know, don't let kids see it. They uh, uh, comic shop owners would put the bat, the board in front of the cover and then it would be in the bag. So like no one could see like if the cover was suggestive, even just suggestive in any way. They're like, no, 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 let's not do right. that. Uh, some comics were actually shipped in black bags. So you couldn't like porn mags. So you couldn't yep. see what was what the thing is. So Armageddon Quest is not safe for work. And it's it's not not safe for work in the how we traditionally think of that like it's not sexy in the thrilling sexy way it's not right. violent in the thrilling sexy way it's it's its own beast um there it's is not tim movie, vigil is, yeah no it's not tim vigil there is they're not <laughs> i mean like i'm sure some people are going to look at this art and read this story and like find some scenes kind of hot i mean i'm yeah. they're going to be out there um some scenes more than others. Some scenes are very, some scenes are going to require trigger warnings, you know, uh, in future issues, not this first issue. No one needs a trigger warning for this first issue, but what's to come can get a little heavy and no one plainly the comic shop owners hadn't even read these, these graphic novels because they were just out <laughs> for yeah. anyone to buy. And my seventh grade ass bought them and no one said bupkis, no one said a word. <laughs> um, so, and this was like the comics were in their black bags right next to this thing, but they were in the bargain bin and it was all the whole series kind of in one little package. And I think it was 10 bucks or something like that, which for my, at my age and in, in those years, like 10 bucks was That's a, lot of, a lot of money for me. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the sheer amount of comics I got for it, 900 pages. And I, I hadn't counted it at that point, but I just, you could see the thickness and the, and the, and I was like, Oh yes, I'm doing this. And so instead of going to the racks to get some more Marvel DC stuff, which I was looking for something to read on a family car trip. We were going to drive this like 16 hour car trip. And I was like, I need something to read. This is going to be long. This is going to be hellish. And I, I want something to lose myself in. And I went, I, on, I bit the bullet. I was like, okay, leap of faith. I'm, I'm buying these. And I read all 900 pages in that one car trip. I could not stop. <laughs> I could not take my eyes off it. I could not, I didn't want, every time we stopped to eat or do a bathroom break, I was annoyed. I did not want to stop because I would have to put it down and go do something yeah. else. So I I had rarely had that experience with fiction of any kind before before yeah. this comic. I it impacted me. It left an imprint on me. I think it was truly my first indie comic, my true first true blue indie comic um, that I'd ever read. And it blew my my little mind. Um and it, it blows adults' minds, too, like when they read this. It is 
a truly unique voice, a truly unique style. It has shades of things you've seen before. It's not one of those things where it's like you have no context for where to even place it. No, 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 you will. It's not that bad. Um, you know, I do like to compare it to like the OG black and white Eastman Laird TMNT, um, Usagi Ojimbo. I always say Robert Crumb too. You got to throw some of him in there. Um, and those sort of Chester Brown and like those black and white greats of that era when they were really pushing the boundaries on adult content in underground comics. And Armageddon Quest, it is a fantasy heroic epic. It's the coming of age story of the Antichrist. Um, he's a reluctant Antichrist. He's kind of a nice kid, doesn't want to hurt anybody, really doesn't like want to end the world. It. And, but the world, like, I mean, his mother hates him because she knows he's the Antichrist and her story gets told in a, in a, in a future issue where you learn all the shit she went through as the mother of the Antichrist before, like leading up to his birth. And it's, she has good I mean, reason to yeah. have some, um, horrible thoughts uh, about her own child. And, but this kid, nevertheless, you know, it's one of those things he's not. He doesn't understand that it's 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 not something he has to learn about how the world works. He has to learn about yeah. how people work. He has to learn about religion, about politics, about why all these different factions of the world want him to fulfill his destiny. I mean, he's the villain, but it's like he needs to be the villain because there are parts to play. Right. And there's a prophecy to fulfill and everyone's banking on this to happen in a certain way. So. It's one of like, even as a child, one of the first things in this first issue you'll see is like, there's a pre, he, he grows up in a uh, villa, a, a Italian villa. So it's right near the Vatican. Yeah. It, it, it's right near like the worst place he could possibly be. And the local priest is always kind of poking his nose around. And his caretakers that are raising him are always like, don't talk to the priest. Like, you know, that priest will fucking kill you if he knows yeah. who you are, you know, kind of thing. So he has to learn about the world and what they want of him. And why? And this whole series is coming of age into young adulthood. Once he hits young adulthood, that's where it really gets not safe for work. You got to be ready for that. He comes into his own sexuality. And this comic was a little oh. ahead of its time in, in a number yeah. of ways. Uh, there are characters here that are all about gender fluidity. They're all about, um, I mean, it, it, not that this language is used in the comics. It was kind of pre having this language to talk about it yeah but there is a lot of uh playfulness in terms of sex and gender um and a lot of openness with sexuality and it it goes a lot of different places and again as a kid i was like i couldn't believe i was reading this in a comic book like <laughs> this was something where i'm I, it's just like and it's an actual kind of heroic fan fantastical supernatural horror epic and I mean, I was flipping those pages. I could not. And it, let me tell you something else. It is not. It is a dense comic textually. There's a yeah. lot of writing in this comic as well as the, as the beautiful images. It's not a fast read. The fact that I finished this thing in 16 hours was like I did not stop. I did not break. <laughs> I, I don't even think I napped during that time. And we got up at like 4 a.m. to start that car ride. And, you know, we arrived at like midnight all the way around the next day and it was just like oh it was so i go right back to the beginning and start it over <laughs> like seriously well i mean i've reread it so many times since it is a comic yeah. i can read at a drop of a hat it, which is fascinating to me actually even just saying that right now i don't think i've said this in any other interview yet but armageddon quest is one of the like my top, if i had to make a top five or top 10 comic list a big piece of that is going to be what can i what will like i don't have to be in the mood 
Like yeah. I always want to read that comic. Like it's even if it's heavy, even if it's uh, textually dense, even if it's unique in some way, like it has a certain voice where it's like, that's uncommon. It still is something that affects me in a way where it's like, I can just pick it up and I can crack it. Now I know the story front and like the back of my hand at this point. So like I can yeah. open it up at any point too and just start reading. And I can do that. Pick with up this wherever at any at. time. And it, yeah. And it always satisfies what? me. It's always worth re reading, re looking at. And so to answer that was a very long-winded version of, of yeah. why this comic but it is my favorite comic of all time and it kills me that no one has heard of it that it got lost to history that there are the few handful of people that do remember it we got a nice pull quote from scott mcleod um because he did remember the comic and he's like that was an amazing comic and i'm like dude yeah i'm like thank you for that that's amazing um one person <laughs> that also remembered it and gave us an amazing pull quote that we're not using anymore. We got this pull quote quite a while ago and he is now kind of persona non grata um, to the rest of civilization. But Warren Ellis remembered this comic and uh, gave it a really nice pull quote at one point. And so the folks that remember it, remember it very fondly like me. Yeah. There just aren't many of them. And I think that has been a tragedy to me personally, even though I didn't make the damn thing um, yeah. for so long do that. Uh, yeah. Do you think that it's the, um, not the genre, but the, the way in which I, I looked it up now. I can't remember who was the create the writer of this. Ronald Russell Roach. Yeah. Ronald. How do you say his last Russell name? Roach. <laughs> like, like Russell a cockroach. Roach. Roach. Yeah, 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 Russell Roach. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it was the 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 actual the stuff that he's talking about? Is it the way that he wrote it that just kind of gravitated and pulled your attention? That that like this is talking to a young Dave and saying, I am really like I really connect with this in some way. Mm -hmm. And is it is it more about the way he writes? Or do you think it's more about what he's writing about? It was definitely the way he wrote about it more than what. I mean, what was something that intrigued me? But I mean, there are lots of movies, comics, books, you name it, stories that the premise sounds absolutely fucking fantastic. And then you read it and yeah. you're like, all right, basic. All right. You know, straight yeah. it's like I, I read it's like reading it is like reading the premise. You're just getting it in very straightforward bare bones fashion that has its place and sometimes maybe the premise itself can blow someone's mind i think when you read a lot though when you are and i think a lot of people who read comics are people who read a lot because we're all nerds we're all yep. geeks we're all dorks yep. and we we consume a lot of media um and when you do that i think the need to find something different like a, a new version of the things you love is more I, I know there are some people in the world that don't seek that out. Uh, I don't understand that <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Um, I, I think there are most there are people that I think the reason most people don't seek it out is not because they don't want to seek it out, but because they have this sort of deep-seated belief that, you know, 
if it's truly worth their time, they're just going to, they're going to hear about it. Like they don't yeah. have to seek it out. It's going to be like, you're on, missing out on so much stuff. <laughs> I know. I know. But I do think that like, that's sort of why marketing works as well as it does. Right. Like when there's a yeah. lot of money behind the marketing and it's like, when that thing is being broadcast everywhere, everyone wants to be a part of the conversation. Everyone wants to weigh in on what that thing is. Cause it's fucking everywhere. And everyone's talking about yep. it. Um, and when then no one is talking about something, there is just that suspicion that this is some piece of, of shit little ditty that like some self-published whatever somewhere that like is not worth their time. Um, yeah. No one put a bunch of bucks behind it. And so why with all and especially nowadays, we're so spoiled for riches when it comes to content and media. You know, there's so much available to us that it's like, yeah. why am I taking time and or money for this thing? Um I'm still because I found so many things by taking that leap of faith and finding the things like I get intrigued when I haven't heard about something. And sure, yeah. you can look into something and dig a little deeper into it and be like, OK, this is a really like not ready for prime time. Somebody's, you know, vanity project that no one cares about. OK, maybe maybe I will pass on that one. Um, but when I see something that actually looks quality in some way, whether it's the art, whether it's the writing, something about it that catches my attention and yeah. it is just this, or the idea is so unique, the idea is so unique or, you know, the art style is something that just like you halt, halts you in your tracks and you're like, wait a minute, where did you come from? And yeah. do are you just, do you just do art or are you, do you do narrative stuff? Like, is it something I can read that, that you do? Um, and so you dig a little deeper into that. And when I find things like that 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 is that's what i live for honestly as a reader yeah. and as a consumer yeah. i think that that is the best thing um that you well, can experience that, that's like for my book supernatural baby detective that's my biggest push i think it's the biggest thing i have i mean it's original i don't think you're gonna go out there and you're gonna find anything that's <laughs> doing what that book has done and what it's doing right. you know right and it's and sometimes i get frustrated because i hear people they'll be like oh i don't know how to, to compare tell you about or... it's a baby detective i'm like if that's what you got out of it then i failed because that's right. not all that's going on there <laughs> right I, well and i will say not everyone is not everyone is good with words not that's everyone right. is good with you know and that's part of the um i think a lot of creators can be like that too where it's like they're good at telling stories but then you know the moment you ask them to pitch their shit it's like they're they're like they just get this block this mental yeah. block and it's like they can't they can't get past and they're and all of a sudden you're like didn't you just write a fucking novel or write a fucking 900 page comic epic like how are you Give not me the able highlights to buddy right exactly and you know but some but brains don't always work that way right it's like yeah. some personalities and the way we think about things like someone can sit there and let an idea percolate and just map it out and so and then create it on their own steam in their own way and from beginning to end, and that yep. is something they understand. That is something they feel confident about. If you're like now distill, you, but that took you, you made 900 pages of comics. Now distill yeah. it into a log line. And that is its own skill. That is not the same thing. Even it's almost think like it asking a band. Word smithery. Yeah, it's almost like asking a band, what genre of music are you guys? And you hear yeah. it and you can see their gears rolling and they're like, right. uh, well, uh, and they don't want to say we're rock and roll or we do right. heavy metal or, right. or like, what do you sound like? Well, we don't sound I like, and sometimes I always kind of, I, cause I love to tease people and it gets me in trouble all the time because either they, either they get it or they think I'm an asshole and it's, 
fine. Right. But they always, you know, it's like, oh, so you invented this whole new genre of music. You must be a genius. <laughs> right. Although, to be fair, to their credit, I, you know, musicians didn't create these genres. Right. That's right. They're not the ones who invented them. They're, they didn't have any reason to them. They didn't need these lines drawn in the sand. They didn't need these things uh, defined in such boxed ways. That was for stores. People selling the music desperately needed them. Yeah. And so yeah. they were like, okay, marketing. You just have, yeah, do you just have a record store? It's like, it's one thing when there's only a two dozen bands that anyone gives a shit about at one point in history, kind of a thing, you know, and you're like, yeah. okay, well, you're here for the Beatles or you're here for Elvis or you're here, you're here for the Rolling for blues Stones. and jazz or what have you. But see, yeah. even then it's sort of like the moment you start branching out and the moment you've got blues and jazz and country and rock and roll and pop. And um, then you're going to start having things like blues grass and like, cause even within country, it starts breaking down into other genres. Yep. And yep. now yep. we've got genres and subgenres and, and, and subgenres of that. And blah, blah, blah. Yes. And th but this was to sell things so people could go in bookstores were the same thing, too. Right. Yeah. It was like bookstores needed suddenly, you know, the and people's biggest gripe is the fact that there is still just an overall section called fiction. People hate yeah. that, you know, yeah. because they're like, what's in that section? We're not even sure. You know, it's like, what are you? Because, OK, sci fi fantasy, you gave sci fi fantasy or speculative fiction, if you want to lump them together, you gave them that. Nonfiction has their breakdowns of things. Um, you know, it's cooking, it's it's gardening, it's history, it's politics, something like that. Bio. How did we get here? <laughs> uh, we're talking about selling things and marketing, but <laughs> the fiction thing is still a problem because it's yeah. like going into a video, a movie store. You know, like if you a rental like when rental stores still existed. Oh yeah. And the new the new release, everyone got that. But if you just had a movie section that like nothing else fit in people would not like that and not right. really respond to that very well unless you well, were a fucking weirdo like me and you were just like that's where you find the weird shit let's go there so. i miss i i worked at hollywood video in the, in the mid 90s yeah. and i kind of miss going into a rental place mm -hmm. and seeing mm -hmm. all those cover boxes because yeah. that's how i found the evil dead mm -hmm. you know that's oh, how i found yeah. The Reanimator. That's how I found I, I tons of movies. True Romance, yeah. you know, yeah. was from seeing the cover box and going, "That yeah. looks cool," and then picking it up and reading the back, going, "Oh, I, I want right. to check this out," and then yes. being blown away when I watched it. Going, absolutely. I mean, what? that period, kind of like okay. Now here we'll circle back to a little bit to Armageddon Quest <laughs> with this, yeah. but sometimes those covers sometimes those covers were so amazing they misrepresented what how bad the movie actually was oh, yeah. or how not really like the cover was so much better than the movie could ever be yeah, like and the way they would right death stalker like all, a lot of She's the horror movies fest <laughs> right right <Rape> fest <laughs> or the worst part i guess so i i did do death stalker one through four in one evening one time and it blew me away how much every su a subsequent like Death Stalker 2 had some scenes from Death Stalker 1 they just replayed. Death yeah. Stalker 3 had scenes from 1 and 2 and it was like half Did of it the really? movie. And Death Stalker 4 is are, are, is almost entirely scenes from 1, 2 and 3. I watched Death Stalker reassembled when it came out in the early 80s. Like on HBO or Showtime. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I loved it cuz I shouldn't have been watching it cuz I was like 10. Of course. You know, yeah. nine or ten years old should not have been watching it, but I it was just it was fan, and I loved Beastmaster and I loved you know all oh, yeah. those 
you know, and Beastmaster was fine for a 10 year old. I mean, there are some scenes that are kind of questionable, but it was it wasn't that bad. 80s 80s fantasy was a little risque, but yeah, were, but it wasn't were, it wasn't it wasn't Deathstalker. And, no, and I remember going, oh, I really liked Deathstalker when I was a kid. And then we did an episode for Spoiler Country and we did a review <laughs> of Deathstalker uh -huh. and, we, and I hadn't watched it in 30 years, 40 years, you know. So I'm like, let's do it. And we all watched it. And we all got together and we're like, whoa, that was a whole <laughs> lot of rape. We had yep. even the heroes were wait were just raping girls. It was like I know what? It was, it, it's not a good movie in any way, shape, or form. No. I mean, like you can There's enjoy it. Redeemable like, about it. About, no, it's terrible. And the sequels <laughs> are worse because they are recut patchwork monstrosities of the previous films. It's hysterical. <laughs> I mean, like I couldn't believe that movies could be made like that, and I wasn't aware that this was a thing in movies like really low budget thing, like uh, small yeah. producers that would reassemble movies or people that would take foreign films and reassemble them with like 10 minutes of new footage and make a weave a whole new story around it. Like yeah. hire one white actor and then film his scenes as though he were interacting and with like intercut the Asian him in. cast. <laughs> yep. And intercut him in. And all of a sudden you had a whole new movie and I was like, Holy <laughs> shit, this is horrible. But we were it's genius though. It's genius. Well, it's genius because it worked at the time because we were not yeah. a global community yet, right? Yeah. It's like we yeah. didn't have access to each yeah, other. Yeah, you couldn't do that now. Um, <laughs> right. Foreign films just used our soundtracks. They would just use them in the film because we had no idea what they were doing. We didn't care either, really. Um, and we didn't have any we didn't have any eyeballs into it. We nothing was coming over, and we weren't sending anything much over there except the biggest right. big. So they just and, take the scores and use them. Yeah. Um, but to that point, like. I, I, so I worked at a blockbuster for a little while as well. Oh, um, back in the, the day, enemy. <laughs> the enemy, um, Hollywood was so much better. I, I loved, I, I was, I'm with you in the sense that I swear by Hollywood of the two bigs, biggest, the, the only bigs, reason like, Hollywood was better was this. You walked into Hollywood and you had late fees. You had $70 worth of late fees. Me as a cashier could say, give me five bucks towards your late fees and you can still rent. I don't care. Right. right. And blockbuster was the exact opposite. No, no, no pay in full right, you know right right yeah blockbuster was i mean because they were the big the big big guys yeah like they were the disney of of the group and like there yeah, was no they were the big bad negotiating with disney you know yeah. um so so but the one thing and i do miss that like I, or i'm nostalgic for it because i grew up with it and it, it's a it's a very fond memory but i will say to this day i spend um when i'm winding down for bed most nights and i'm like I sit down and cuddle with my cat for 30 minutes to an hour for the final thing. I always want to read, but I sometimes wind up scrolling on my phone, right? It's like yeah. you just get sucked into that and you're like, God damn it, I'm spending too much time on my phone. But one of my fun things that I do on the phone is like I will pull up like Vudu or Amazon Prime or whatever yeah, the, the catalogs thing. are. And yep. it's like the new releases and the indie releases that now have their own. Yep. Um, I flip through it. And you still discover things that you you are like, where did that come from? Yeah. So I, I still treat the apps and the digital sphere that we're living in now, the streaming world, as a video rental store. And I think you can still get a lot of that out of these experiences. You have to bother to do it. Um, yeah. But if you scroll, you just miss the community aspect it. of it. A little bit, a little bit. I'm on Letterboxd as well. I think they're, they're, uh, it's all online, I know. But it's yeah. like there's online communities um i live in a major city i'm in la so i'm sure there probably are like there are all these event websites where you can sign up for groups that do meet in person and do things like yeah. we're all gonna get together watch a movie and then talk about it where i just 
Um, I've got my first, uh, this weekend, I'm meeting up with my first wine group, which is bring your own bottle wine group that I've never nice. tried before. But it's like, everyone's got to bring a bottle of wine that's $25 or more, but you know, no less than like, we're not going to risk finding the hidden gems. Don't, don't give us cheap shit, you know, bring something yeah. that's at least medium, you know, at 25 bucks and then, or more. And everyone brings one bottle and we all try it and we all talk about it. And I'm like, I missed this. Okay, great. But just, I uh, like 12 miles from my house is a, a, an actual video store still. Yeah. And they've been around oh, well, for like since yes. the late eighties. They've been there Yeah, and they still yeah. rent VHS and they yes. still rent DVD yep. and they're right yep. next to uh, Jalisco's uh, Mexican restaurant. And yep. They've been there the whole time and it's, yep. it's crazy. And the blockbuster video that was there only closed in 2013, 2014. Yeah. Cause yeah. when we were there, we, we, we there were, rented there a were house a few hangers on yeah. in Bothell. It was there. We're like, Holy shit. There was, there's a blockbuster right. video still, right. still here. And then right. it was gone like a month later, right. two months later. And now they're, yeah. And now they're all gone, but there is a video store by my parents, uh, in, in, in their small town, Michigan Petoskey place up there. Bend Oregon family sells a blockbuster. Video. Yeah. So, oh, does it? So there is one. Yeah. It's the okay. last there's blockbuster in the world the is one. in Bend, Oregon. Gotcha. I don't gotcha. think it'll ever close because it's kind of been a, uh, it's become a cultural artifact, thing. right? It's yeah. like, like a, what do they call it? It's something that you need to preserve that is, anyway, cultural preservation worthy <laughs> thing. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, yeah, what do they call that? Like when you're on the historical society. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they could put it it's an historical landmark <laughs> right it's like no one can ever tear it down no one can ever get rid of it it's like this is a piece and it's one store let's do it you know yeah. let's preserve yeah. it let's keep it forever yeah um but i do think that uh oh, where was i just going with that in um going back to the comic so i think long story short with all of that in yeah. the same way that um you know you're doing supernatural baby detective which is a, a unique new indie comic on Kickstarter. Yep. We're bringing an old comic that is like, this is the kind of thing that you would need to go to. And you would need to find a comic shop that had like a real back issue, not just like Marvel and DC, but like yeah. tons of back shop. And you would still have to somehow find it in all those bins and whatnot. Yeah. Right. And it's like, well, I think how online lucky is, you'd even find it. Yeah. How lucky or, or even know what it was or have yeah. any context. So you, you might well, see it. How many issues like, were printed? Sorry. How many issues were printed? I don't know. Um, I've never talked. I've never spoken to uh, the OG publisher. Um, you can still find copies floating around, so they're out there. Um, the first trade paperback is actually fairly affordable if you if you try to go spelunking. The second and third, not so much. That one can get a, those two can get a little pricey. Um, but they are the one thing I will say, and I'm very confident about this, is the new editions. We have a lot of bells and whistles that the old editions do not have. Um, yeah. We are going to be releasing like Ron's back catalog. Like uh, there are prelude stories. There are illustrated prose stories. There are hundreds of pages of prelude comics that he did on the characters before launching into Armageddon Quest directly. And we're going to be reprinting that's, that. That's a good sign of really good character development. Yes. You know he, what I mean? Because there's a lot of yes. people that just, especially when it comes to comic books, and and I've and I've met lots of people that do independent comic books, and they're all wonderful people. But mm -hmm. when I read their characters, it's like, oh, you just wrote this guy, right? You know what I mean? There's right. no, he's a, there, he's there's, a type, right? Yeah, yeah. 
And this was something where uh, Ron originally wrote the entire story as a novel. And then he was like, yeah, okay, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> you know, th this big wall, th this like this novel. And I think he was like, I can still do it better. It's one of those things that that was like his practice run. Then he started writing. He was working as a security guard. Um, yeah, and in a prison in ooh, either Washington or Oregon. I'm gonna forget <laughs> which one. I think Washington. Um, and he was working as a security guard at a prison there, and he started writing the character that will be. He's gonna be introduced in in a future issue, but the Christ character of the comic, um, not the Antichrist, but the Christ character called Emmanuel. And he wrote this in hundreds of pages of of Emmanuel. Uh, hijinks in in this prison and and doing certain things this and, makes me want to read this more you know what i mean yeah the oh, fact and that he, he did all this prep work is amazing yes and did as stories with our antichrist tazio long before he started the official armageddon so the cool thing about armageddon quest is this is not his practice run this is his like all right i'm ready yes yeah. Real. This is magnum and, opus when it comes to this. Exactly. And you can tell the art and the storytelling is, um, you know, one thing I've mentioned in, in the past to some folks is when you go back, even though I've compared this to Eastman and Laird's TMNT, the really early black and white issues. Yeah. If you go back and read those first early style. issues. Yeah. The storytelling is not very good. Right. right. It's like it's fun. But they didn't know what they like and their art skills, even though even their art skills would improve quite a bit as they went yeah. and fairly quickly. But it was still it's like it's all a lot of fun and it's all solid enough that you can get started. And then where it goes, they get good as they mm -hmm. go. Like they get really interesting. And that's because the characters start to develop. Right. The characters develop, their art style develops and even their storytelling ability. I think their narrative uh, ability to weave a narrative, even with all the kooky shit they were throwing into that comic, like really yeah. starts to drive home. Armageddon Quest from page one is like Ron has done his early issues. That's all out of the way. He, this is like where it gets good and Fully right, from, right, right from page one. You are, I think, when I when I put art the first couple of pages of art on the screen and share it with people, I think a lot of folks and artists especially have looked at it and been like, this is. This is detailed. This is like really finely wrought. This is well done. This is very yeah. good. And I'm like, yeah, he like some of his early stuff is shakier. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> like it absolutely is. But not by the time he started doing this. And now yeah. he's just, he, yeah, he's well, firing on all cylinders. The art is endearing when you're looking at I, it. I agree. I agree. You know, that, I think that's the way it, you're not, you're not looking at it and going, oh my God, that's Jim Lee doing, doing Batman hush. You know where right. where he's blowing you out of the water with the art. The art that this isn't about that. This is, you know, when you look at the characters, it's easy to to be like, oh, it's. I don't want to. It's it's not cute, but it's it's <laughs> cute for you know. What I mean, it's it's endearing. I call it charming. That's the best way to put yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, charming yeah. and endearing, and it's like, oh, and it it probably makes when you start to read it, and it's obviously going to get very heavy. It probably makes those heavier themes easier to to explain and easier to be a part of and mm -hmm. to to relate to that's the thing that's what i'm wondering when you're reading it and you're you know 10 11 years old and you're in your back of your parents car going right. down the road and you're at page 750 and tazo is doing something and or experiencing something for the first time that's a very adult situation but they put it in an art form that makes it so much easier for you to relate to you probably like yes. 
click, 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 click. Right. <laughs> well, and he's a child too, like in these early yeah. issues, right? So he's coming into this world a lot of like me as a reader at that age, especially. Um, I probably uh was able to dial into that. And then yeah, that his art style, but even his storytelling style to some degree is very um it's also charming. It's also got this, uh, whether you want to call it naivete, whether you want to call it charm, whether you want to call it sweetness, like there's this very openness where it's part of what also makes the the sexuality elements of it once we get there also feel way ahead of its time is like he's doing all this Super very honest. graphic stuff, but it's very, it's very open. It's just very yeah. almost wide eyed and innocent about the whole thing yeah. to where it's yeah. like, this is all wonderful and acceptable. It can get dark. It can get bad. And that's decisions characters make. And we're going to look into that and we're going to explore that. But even then we're going to look at these characters for who they are and where their moral boundaries are. And it's just the way he does it is in a way that, especially as a kid, but I think adult, I mean, even as an adult, I keep rereading it and getting blown away by it. Um, every time I revisit it, I'm always shocked by how deft the writing is and nuanced his approach to these themes are where it's just, there's so much that goes on in this comic and so many yeah. ideas and, and um, yeah, themes, events, um, I don't want to call it politics, but you know things we would now think are political um, in nature. But at the time, I think he was just like, "This is this is humanity. This is life," which is it, kind of the truth of a lot of things we call politics, right? It's like it's unavoidable. It's, it is life. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I I was interested in in the in the project, and and guys, go out to Kickstarter right now and go to ArmageddonQuest.com. You can see it how it's written. Um, Armageddon Quest on the bottom of the screen right there. If you're listening on on your podcast in your car or on your headset, whatever. It's just armageddonquest.com. Take you right to the Kickstarter page. And we're going to get into the Kickstarter here in a second. Um, and you can see all the cool stuff. I, when, when you talked about this for the first time, I was like, I, I, I didn't understand that it was something that came from before. Cause you asked right. me about it. Have you heard of this book? Cause I think you were on right. a quest to find somebody else that understood this book. And I'm right. old enough to be like, I, you know, there's a good chance I could have heard of it. Um, yeah. But I was like, no, I've never even heard of that book. And you're like, God damn it. And right. it's interesting. I was I was so blown away by the fact that here's somebody that was so moved by a book that wants to bring it back to share it because it's out. You know what I mean? You can't just find mm -hmm. it. You can go to eBay. You can look up Armageddon Quest and you can find some of those older stuff. Find copies. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the fact that you want to bring it back into print and, and, and make it available for to a larger audience i just was so intrigued you know and then to go in and obviously the passion that you have for this and it just reminds me like when i was growing up um my the first comic book i ever fell in love with like that i i mean i had books comic books that um my dad had which when he was my dad was born in 1940 right and my grandparents uh -huh, yeah. still had all his old comic books in an old wooden right. chest in his thing yep. and they're like batman and superman and a bunch of disney of ones but they're all torn yep. up they're they're, they're right. yeah i mean they went through grandkids and cousins and everything right. <laughs> and uh i read those but I don't that was really an remember. era that no one was taken care of kind of they weren't yeah. made to be taken care of right? no yeah. no that and that was in the 70s when i was reading those and i don't remember even which ones they were i just kind of remember maybe superman was in there maybe batman uh right but my brother collected and my brother is five six years older than me and he got magic 
the character magic from the X-Men and he got her miniseries. And that was the first one that I really, really remember reading, sitting down and was like, that was it. And then uh, about two years later, the Dark Knight Returns, the the graphic novel with all of them connected. Mm, And I read and my buddy, Jerry, who lived right up the street, Ben, we called him Jerry, but his name was Ben Duanis. And um, he was, he used to let me read his comic books and he was quite, he was like 10 years older than me. Right. And he was super nice guy. And he, but he let me read his comic books and that was the first one he let me borrow. And I probably read the dark Knight returns and I don't know how many times like over and over. And I almost ruined his books and he went and bought me a, 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 a copy, a copy. <laughs> just so or, I, you, you know you, sh- you should have just been like you keep that beaten up one now I'm yeah gonna go buy i think that's what he ended up copy. doing i think that's what we ended okay. up doing is i just kept okay, that one. good <laughs> and i probably read that book no less than 50 times growing up yeah. and then i really got into batman the killing joke which is kind of funny because i was always like a spider-man guy and an x-men guy those are like my favorite ones to read but mm-hmm. those two batman stories really stuck with me and I remember reading The Killing Joke thinking, oh, my God, this was amazing, blah, blah, blah. And then I got into Swamp Thing because I wanted to know more about Alan Moore. But then I wasn't a fan of uh, of The Watchmen, really. I loved the movie more than I liked the comic books, which is kind of right. which is probably sacrilegious. But I just wasn't a big fan of it. And then but The Killing Joke, I really liked. And then when I read it when I was an adult, I was like, I, I didn't have the connection where yeah. you have this book that you still still want to go back to and you can still yeah. and 900 pages is nothing to sneeze at that means no. you could open it up and start reading something and being like oh and you can like transport yourself right back to that honestly it gets better as i get older yeah it's it's, it's been it that is not i mean i can say that about a handful of comics they and those are all going to be my like top five it's yeah it's interesting um we won't go into the list right now but i i made it up to someone on another podcast challenged me to get my top five and i did and I've now expanded that. I think I've discovered what I think right now I would call my top eight of all time. Mine and they're all so black much. and white. They're all black and white comics, which actually kind of shocked That's hilarious. Me. I'm like, <laughs> really? I'm like, I would not, as much as I it's love like, Armageddon Quest, I didn't think I loved black and white comics that much. But so far, like The Crow it, and Grendel and... No, it's going to be, it's mostly going to be shit you also haven't heard about, let me tell you. Yeah. Um, Is it Faust? Some people, uh, uh, oh, no. Uh, uh, so I've never actually read Faust. I know of it. And I actually <laughs> love David Quinn, um, the writer. Oh, my God. Faust. It's so it's I remember when it came out and, I, and and me and all my buddies were like, oh, my God, this was amazing. And I look back at it now and I'm like, oh, my God, it was just over the top violence and sex. So I mean, the there's top. a scene where a guy gets his penis cut off and you see it right, flying right, right. across the room. <laughs> I've seen pages like I've seen snippets of it. And I'm like, and one day I'm so curious. I'm like, I need to read that. The series as a whole now that it's all available. Said, didn't um, Tim Vigil do the art for that? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Almost all of it. Yeah. Um, I believe yeah. I think there are a few chapters where some pinch hitters came in, but he, he was he was the main artist on most of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that Armageddon Quest is, is one that. The longer the older I get and the more I return to it, the more I just marvel. That's awesome. It. And yeah, yeah and it, I don't. That's awesome. This campaign has been me trying to put it into words. Why? <laughs> you know, and like yeah. the struggle to, to well, do that. But yeah. We have six days to go. We're at sixteen hundred and sixty-six dollars of a pledge of three thousand. Twenty of dollars, which of it is mine? So, yay! Thank you, Ken. Let's Ray. get it over the t- the hump. I know you probably have some people waiting in the wings. 
which drives me nuts. Oh, it's I know. Like, I've got I've got 130 followers that are just sitting there <laughs> following yeah. the campaign. Yeah. And I'm like, please, All right, please. Down, yeah. Right. It's like down to the wire. I get it. I get it. Yeah. But uh, and doing what I can. And we'll see. And I will say, you know, I, I still have confidence. Six days like of so many campaigns have turned it around in six we're days gonna get in it. those we're final get days. It. Yeah. I still have we had the Dracula guy if- just the other last month. Remember? Uh-huh. They're gonna drop. They're gonna drop it and everything. They're gonna cancel it. Yeah, and they were able and to turn they it made around. It. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John Westhoff, who just did Drumsticks of Doom. This is like the first campaign he's ever done where it's just like funded, and he, uh, he, it's always been down to the wire with him. Stephen Prince too, until like just this campaign or the one before it was always down to the wire with his Monster Matador, and this one just funded right out the gate. I love so that book. you finally hit this stride i think if you just keep, yeah. if you can just keep going but i at the beginning this is the it's way it is. That, it's yeah. growing that audience and awareness so if yeah. even if this fails like we'll be i'll i'll probably i need a few more bells and whistles like a few higher tiers to get people to drop a, a few more bucks um yeah. but i think the more awareness people have and i'm getting better at knowing how to reach people where it took this campaign for me to get better at it well, and so if I think you I can unlock the golden the palace time. on how how to build that awareness. Please let me know. Uh, I will let you know. I've every That's every the... trick. I mean, we're yeah, yeah. On all the discords and all the Facebook groups, we're sharing what we learn. Um, but there are things that like I didn't think about until way too late, and it's too late really to start it now. But there are some big names I could have reached out to, and I'd totally forgotten about it because I back so much of their stuff. And anyway, there there are two yeah. hints, there are tricks here. But uh, Dude, let's I... get into this for now. Welcome, everybody, to the very first Kickstarter. By me, I'm Dave Baxter, the host of the Wine and Comics Pairing Show, which is a YouTube show and podcast, does exactly what it says in the title. We paired wines with comics. And this is the very first Kickstarter for our Wine and Comics Publishing branch. Get it? Wine and Comics Pairing Show. Wine and Comics Publishing, kind of the same acronym. It's clever. Okay. Okay. For this very first Kickstarter, we are bringing back into print my favorite comic book of all time, Armageddon Quest by Ronald Russell Roach. Bing! Book one, Tazio. And actually, so you can see this properly, let's flip this video. There we go. Now you can read it properly. See the insides of the comic. Ooh, so pretty. It is black and white. It is properly black and white, as you can see here. Oh, yay. So good. So beautiful. Ronald Russell Roach, right? All right. This is my bad side. So let's flip this back. All right. Beautiful. For this campaign, we have not just the main cover. We also have an alternate cover by uh, USA bestselling author Russell Nolte, uh, best known for Katrina Hates the Dead, his Godverse Chronicle novels, um, Ichabod Jones' Monster Hunter, uh, Cthulhu is Hard to Spell, Anthologies. If you love Russell, he also does this wonderful underground DIY art style, and I love what he did with Tazio right here. So this is one of the alternate covers. And then we have a gorgeous wraparound cover by Angela Odling. Um, check that out down below. 
We also have uh, two t-shirts in the spirit of the comic, one that is safe for work and one that is not safe for work, depending on how many people you want to offend. You can choose which t-shirt is for you. We will also have stretch goals coming, um, mostly digital stretch goals, because we want both our digital and physical backers to be able to partake of all the stretch goals we hit. We have a 12-page full-color um, prelude story to Armageddon Quest called Mother Instinct, which has rarely ever been seen in the wild. And we are going to give all backers this story if we hit a certain stretch goal. We also have music that Ron has done. Um, Ron never did music specifically for Armageddon Quest, but we do have an epic eight-minute Star Trek song that he wrote all the lyrics and music and performs, and people will be able to get a downloadable version of that music if we hit that stretch goal. And then we have whole graphic novels from other indie comic creators that will be coming up as stretch goals as well. Back if you can, and let's hit these stretch goals of number of backers and total amount raised. Boom. There right. we go. So, we are into the story. So, if you love Eastman and Laird's original black and white team in T, Osamu Tezuka's Astro Boy, or Stan Sakai's Usagi Yojimbo, Dave Sims' Cerebus, um, Cerebus was huge. Yep. I, I, I was I was into it. I loved it. I, I discovered it after Armageddon Quest, but it was I read all the phone books, all the phone books. Yeah, it was kind of crazy how big of a comic that actually became. Um, yeah. You know, what, you know, what indie book I used to love was Concrete. Mm. Did oh, you ever yeah. read that one? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not till later. Concrete was one that missed me until like I was adult adult. Um, yeah. So I never I never got the issues, though they were coming out when I was a kid. The, the um, best Cerebus I did definitely did. It's funny that I missed Armageddon Quest because the best place to see uh, independent books in the 80s and early 90s was the Bud Plant uh, catalog. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they would just and have... Sirius was they, in there, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, Cerebus was in there. That's how I found oh, out. Oh, sorry, Sirius, Sirius, the um, S-I-R-I-U-S. Yeah, 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 the publisher. I know, it sounds the same. <laughs> Dawn, yeah. Yes. And then... Um, that's how I found concrete. That's how I found uh, Cerebus. That's how. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. Um, I probably saw the title, but maybe I, I think one thing that Sirius did that was a mistake is they released each graphic novel monthly. So it was just like one, two, three done. Yeah. And so the whole thing was out by then. And it's one of the reasons we're doing single issues right now is to build yeah. the audience slowly over time is I think the one, two, three and out. And then the marketing, you know, the marketing campaign's over. Now all the, now all the copies are just scattered in the wild. And if you noticed it, you noticed it. And if you didn't, it's over. Yeah. And there was just no, like concrete were mini series that came out once a year that were four or five issues at a time that just kept building on each other. And yep. so it's same thing with service, 300 issues. I mean, like it had time. TMNT, yep. same thing. Like everything that made it big had time to make it big. And I think Armageddon, one of the reasons Armageddon Quest just fell through the cracks is it was all done. And I I think Sirius was awesome for getting it all out there. But I think they did it so fast, so blitzkrieg that there was no anticipation. There was no building that. Like they should have done one trade paperback a year. 
and waited yeah. like give, given up like three years to do it or something of that nature and it was just way too fast yeah so aq is the black and white underground comics epic for singular voice writer artist ronald russell roach or 3r uh crafted between 84 and 92 it's coming age tale of our antichrist tazio but of course he's a reluctant one and a nice kid doesn't want to hurt anybody um please note this is not safe for work blah you know all of the um things that we've already talked about look at some of these i love some of this work so the hard edition of aq with giant white space above and below right are new so now you get to see the difference of bring it up more into the modern era of comic books right where you right. no longer have to have a standard size where it's like yeah. whatever the page is doesn't matter we're squeezing it into this you know eight eight and a half by ten and something and it's like nope this is actually like a six and something by nine and something so let's let's get it yeah. down to that yeah yeah and then you have some stretch goals um new intro by joshua dysart who is joshua dysart so uh disart uh joshua disart is the writer he wrote the vertigo unknown soldier and he did oh, okay. something for a couple of years um and he nice. did uh oh he harbinger. Did harbinger the win valiant originally relaunched not the current new new valiant but like <laughs> the original you know relaunch of valiant uh joshua was the harbinger guy he wrote it What's for that? pretty much its entire run Was that 2014 2015 yeah 2014 2015 um and then most recently he's done two bad idea series uh orc island and odin's eye so, and he's a New York Times bestselling. I think that from Unknown Soldier was his New York Times bestselling graphic novels. And yeah, he, so quick, I'll do the story quickly. Um, but his story is really cool because I befriended Josh like over a decade ago and we're both yeah. in LA and, but we only see each other like once a year or something like that. Sure. And what one year I was talking about Armageddon Quest and I was trying, this was when I was getting pull quotes from people when I got it from Scott McLeod, when I got it from Warren Ellis. And I asked, I was like, I gave him a copy of the first trade paperback from the, the old version of the trade paperback. And I was like, read it, see what you think. And so we read it and we met up and later I was like, so uh, do you think you can give me a pull quote? And he said, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think I can. I, I don't think I like it. And I was like, Oh, okay. And, and he's like, yeah, it, he's like, it, it just it it breaks all the rules that are good rules. They're they're necessary rules. And it doesn't this isn't I don't think this is how you're supposed to tell a good story. And I was like, <laughs> all right. All right. Cool. Fine. You know, no harm, no foul. All good. You know, and we went our merry way. We've stayed in touch. We stayed friends. It didn't end the friendship. Um, yeah. And but uh, when I was gearing up for this Kickstarter, I just I, we were catching up for just life, you know, kind of a thing like, hey, how you doing? Ever since the pandemic, we've <laughs> it's all been emails like we almost never even get together in person anymore because we're so lazy yeah. and bad about it. But we were emailing back and forth and I was telling him, hey, we're going to do this again. And he said, I've been meaning to tell you, I fucking love Armageddon Quest now. And I was like, <laughs> what? And, and he was like, time. I was like, oh, I'm like, well, I'm glad. And he's like, yeah, I just. I when well, I said I'm glad you can appreciate it now and he's like no 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 I didn't say I appreciate it I said I fucking love it and he's like I think this is I think it's an a true underground work of art and I feel like That's a awesome. fucking idiot it took me this long to get to understand that and to appreciate it for what it is um but he's like this is this is so my jam so my bag and 
I thought that was such a perfect story of it's almost like the worst case scenario story for people in my head where it's like you might not love it like I did right out the gate. You might not be yeah. like this. What is this? This is incredible because we're all different. We're not all going to have yeah. the same response to yep. anything, whatever it is. But I do think it is a unique enough work and a well-crafted enough work that it, you're going to remember it. Josh hated it, but kept going back to it and he couldn't leave it alone. And then this guy who is a writer by trade, that's what he does. I mean, that's what he does for a living. He has no day job. He has no anything else. Yeah. He writes for a living and he writes comics predominantly for a living. And he came back to it until he was like, this is a gem. This is what this is what brave writing is. And I'm so he's going to be writing that intro, telling that story and giving his thoughts on the comic. And nice. I, I haven't he hasn't sent me the draft of the intro yet, but he's I've already tagged him on social media and he's like, shit, I got to get that to you. And I'm like, yes, you do. We're running out of time. Um, but he will be writing that intro. And I, I yeah, I'm, I'm excited to uh, have people read what his thoughts on this. It's awesome. And then some great sample pages showing. I mean, that's that's great looking. It is. I'm telling you, it's like a lot of people look at this art and it's like it's not. Ron always describes his art as crude. And I'm like, I don't think crude's the right word, I man. I don't think I'm it's like, crude. It's, eh? it's really well drafted. And it's, yeah. it's just, it's got detail. It's great composition. And the expressions are amazing. Uh, it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've always been blown away by this art. And the way he'll even fit, because it's all hand-lettered text and you yeah. know, sound effects. It's all part of the art um this was at a time there were no computers there was none of that so it's all drawn into the page yeah, there's a and lot of just, detail it's amazing yeah and there's a lot of text so it's kind of fucking amazing yeah and these sample pages this is this is the light version of text wait until you get into the thick of the comic <laughs> and i love this splash page i think the splash page this is the you know a quick snapshot of all the things to come of what's coming up um, yeah. And so you, you get a quick peek to sort of wet everyone's whistle uh, and then a quick sample below that of not safe for work. Just it's like, trust me, not safe for work, not safe for work, not safe for work, not safe for work. <laughs> <laughs> like it. every panel when the pages hit, it's every panel. <laughs> and then here's your uh, Russell Nolte cover. Russell Nolte, for those who know him from Cthulhu's Hard to Spell and Ichabod Jones, Monster Hunter, Katrina Hates Dead, God vs. Chronicles, blah, blah, blah. He does art. And I, I love that. And then Angela Odling there for the wraparound cover. Yeah, I like I like this cover. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. This is interesting. I um, yeah, I love that. I like how you did this. I'm a little jealous of this print graphic right here. Or... Yeah, the graphic and the, how you did the first 10. Yeah. Because I literally we did stickers. A sticker, I know. And so I was hoping, right? Yeah, I was hoping this would be a nice step up from that, where I'm like, okay, I'm yeah. just going no, to print is. these in batches of ten. They will be the first, or um, like the printer's going to print those first. They're literally going to be there, so it's a little extra costly in that regard, because of course, yeah. you know, it's its own interior front cover printing that the, none of the other copies are going to have, and then I will hand number them. Um, yeah, no, it in. looks great. It's a, it's a, it's a great way of doing it. And then I thought so, but yeah, <laughs> t-shirts. I'm surprised. I didn't want to do, I didn't want to do t-shirts. I was so worried about having to deal with t-shirts. 
I mean, it's the only thing I'm doing outside of the comics. So it's kind of like it's my one real bell and whistle that I'm doing. I think in the if this doesn't make it to the goal, I need to get more like prints and things like that. And and maybe I could tell you this: the prints. I know everybody everybody I talk to in my in in my uh, thing with prints. I was super lucky. My rooms, my office. Is oh a yeah, yeah. Today. You got what, Ron Randall, right? I have Ron Randall. Yeah, yeah. Did yeah. a cool print. Not one sold. Not one print sold. Bundles oh, that one. had prints in them sold. There you go. But, gotcha. But apparently, prints sell bundles. really well at conventions. Yeah. Cons. Yeah. I think cons, and but again, I think I need like a top top tier bundle with like a whole bunch yep. of shit in it, and that might move the needle a little faster. Yep, I like I like how you did the uh, the stretch goals with the uh... <laughs> the Jewish Kabbalah. Yes, yeah, spiritual religious Jewish Kabbalah, and I'm like, yep, <laughs> that that fits this comic. Let's do it. And then we are okay, we are all about sacrilege here. Yeah, yeah. the uh, <clears throat> PDF. Uh, that's just a digital copy. Uh, yep. The physical cover, main cover A, uh, cover B for twenty. Is this the early bird? No, I did the. Uh, no, no, three. yeah, yeah. These these are the normal prices. Uh, early bird, the PDF was six dollars, and then the main cover was ten. They were all like yeah. five dollars cheaper. Um, yeah. And then every every physical issue does come with the PDF and the indie, the digital indie comic bundle. Like they're all included. Every time you go up a tier, everything before it is included. None of them are not. Yeah. And then we have the wraparound cover, which is great. Uh, Amen. And then we just decreased. We just decreased the price of the T-shirt. They were forty five dollars, um, but oh. there were no bites on the T-shirt. So I'm like, you know what? I did the math again, and I'm like, you know what? If we fund. I can I can do these for swing they the cost 35. more. They cost more to print than 35, but if we fund that will cover that cost anyway. So I'm like, yeah. all right, let's see if anyone will take them for 35 bucks. Yeah, this is actually a really good point right here. What Dave just said. When you're looking at a, a why things cost what they cost when you're looking at a Kickstarter, you go to a comic book store and you see a Marvel book for what are they now? $3.99, $4.99. $4.99 mostly. Yeah, $4.99. And you look at a creator-owned independent book, and it's you know 10 bucks to 20 bucks. Right. And it's because we're not printing in a hundred thousand copy batches, right. we're printing in a thousand right. batches, which and usually digital and not offset because we're not yeah. doing those huge numbers. So you can't do offset yeah. and that increases. So the our price. our production costs are so much more that right. This is why. And, and the fact that he has shipping. to sell a shirt less than what he right. has to get it printed for. <laughs> right. Now you know. Right. <laughs> now, now you know. I mean, I will even say they they technically cut each of those shirts because they're front and back. And maybe that's something I have to relook at and only do a, a, a simpler shirt. But they are $42 to print a pop. Yeah. Um, so unless I was printing huge numbers, but, you know, I need I would need like 100 people to get that T-shirt, which ain't going to happen. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And don't forget, guys, shipping, too. Like, we are often trying to make sure shipping is covered as much as possible. Like, there might be a, a small shipping. fee that's at, like, a flat fee, like, five bucks more for shipping. But yeah. shipping costs more than that. So Dude, it's like we are including shipping, that. In, yeah. Yeah. Shipping is expensive. And it just and it goes and just went up again in January. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. So, so we're... 
the cost includes ever, and we're trying to not have hidden costs. So, you know, we don't want to do that thing where it's like 10 bucks for the comic. And then we'll let you know what the shipping is when the time comes. And then the shipping is like more 12 bucks, which is more than the comic. And it's yeah. like, we don't want to do that. So instead we're like, make the comic 15 plus $5 shipping. And then whatever the shipping is fine. We'll swallow. We can swallow that difference. That's what we but did. This, it's yep. That's yeah, exactly, exactly what I did. We get yeah. close enough that international it's okay. though it's not gonna break us. yeah international was 30 bucks and oh, i had yeah. some international yeah. people which i was shocked i was like i was like i i don't want to charge them 30 bucks but i do yeah yeah I, 30 bucks and it's 37 for the i'm sending i'm shipping one to australia it's 37 dollars yeah. yeah uh someone took the first 10 and they're in malta yeah and so i'm just like all right we're going to yeah. cross that bridge. Then, then my next yeah. one, it's going up to 40 bucks. And it's not because I yeah. want to charge him that, but I can't <laughs> right. pay into it. You know what I mean? Right. It just breaks I mean, the bank. I'm doing, I'm doing the flat fee. So like international, I believe, I believe domestic is five bucks. International yeah. is 15 bucks, no matter where it's going. And I'm going to, uh, that I'm going to swallow whatever the difference is after that. Yeah. I made the comics more than they cost to print, you know, to make sure there is a margin of error, Yeah. you know, between that so that whatever, if I have to swallow costs and there will be some, those international packages, I will definitely have to swallow some costs, um, yeah. go over, but that overage should be bearable rather yeah. than, you know, if I was charging you five bucks for the comic, those overages would be impossible, you know, for, for us to cover as, as indie creators. So that, that's It'd a be big nice piece to find it. a printer that has uh, partnerships in different countries so they can would, do I mean, all the setup and you just send the file to an Australian yeah. printer. They print yeah. out the five books and then right. you can ship it right from there. Right. Well, I am I'm printing through a UK based printer. So um, I'm, I'm, we'll see. I, I actually don't know about that, but I might find out once I know what my international shipping packages might be i might be able to do their based they have places in the u.s and then their primary places uk so it might be cheaper to have I, a certain number of copies printed there i can't believe i don't know this book so here's ronald russell roach born in seattle in the early 60s <laughs> studied at western washington state I, I mean this is all my backyard uh yeah. college in bellingham majoring in english he traveled over the world and was part of the 1960s 70s hippie scene his first published comic was space bum which is published in the space.com books uh, by print mint in 1972. He continued drawing his own comics through seventies and eighties. He created Armageddon quest, a mini comic book that was published under the Starhead comics label from 84 to 86, which I think isn't Starhead from this area from Seattle. Probably. That's probably how we met him. Yeah. And, and it's just kind of, it's always shocking. You know, I have, well, That's amazing. So here's the Starhead comics comic. Okay. Oh yeah. The Tom and let me see. What yeah, the, so that's uh, the original. This is the very first single issue that was actually printed yeah. way back in the day. That's the one in the photo when I'm comparing the two. So yeah. It's got the yellowed edges and 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 everything on the thing. Um, but I was gonna probably see smells like the '80s. Yeah. I was going to see if they had something like, okay, da, da, da. yes, he's in Denmark and Seattle, Washington, Starhead Comics. Yep. How do I not know about this book? <laughs> I mean, dude, 1985, I was 11 
And I, I was at the comic book store every day, like well, literally at the paperback exchange. Well, you should have. I should have. <laughs> That's so weird. It's, it's kind of crazy. I mean, I don't you know have answers for why people don't know this book. I've, I just don't know. All I know is they don't. <laughs> and you that is like just reality. Your, um, do you know Stephen Frank? That name sounds familiar. Stephen Frank uh, was the animated director on uh, the What If from this year and oh, last year. Okay. Okay. And then on Disney Plus, he was also the animation supervisor on the Iron Giant. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's done a he's been on a he's done a ton of animation stuff, but he has his own comic book called Silver, uh, which is a Griff in Dracula's castle. It's all in black and white. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. why I know. And 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 Palomino is what he's doing now. Yes. Yes. I'm in Palomino. I'm in that I'm in the second volume. Are you in it? I, yeah. I, I haven't read them yet, but I have all three of the ones uh, that have come out. So that guy's an amazing storyteller. Um, you need to have him on your, you need to reach out to him and have him on your comic book, on mm -hmm. your show. Cause he's, he's one of my favorite. When he comes every time, when he comes to town, I take him to dinner every time. Okay. Cause I, I love, I love that guy. He's from, he's, he's yeah. out of France or well, he lives in LA, but you know, he's right. originally from France. He, uh, asked me to tell him about his grand, I think it's his granddad escaped, um, he escaped the concentration camps not once but twice and it's got some great stories loves art loves comics loves animated movies we'll talk your ear off about all of it and understanding <laughs> it i bet you he probably i'd be shocked if he doesn't know armageddon quest because fe i feel like we'll he knows see. everything everything i'm telling you man i just don't find uh, like I, I i hear you and i'd be interested to find yeah. out and i do need to reach out to him especially if he's in the la area i'm like oh yeah right duh. yeah um yeah, yeah. i think the awesome. only reason i haven't thought of him in a little while is because he after palomino two and three you know he's been doing his own like i haven't heard from him on on the kickstarter he's been working on what if yeah so but yeah I'll, i will definitely have to uh reach out to him and tell you tell him you sent me um yep. Tell him I sent you. He'll be like, oh, yeah. I'd be confident yeah, he'll, I, he, he won't be like, oh, who? <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, that happens a lot, right? You talk to somebody, especially right. when you have a, a right. podcast and, the, and you have all these people that like, come from through. Seattle? Is this really yeah. Bells? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're one Seattle friend, I'm going to assume, maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I mean, again, I... I would love to find more people that know this book, but it just never happened. It never, I yeah. mean, it so rarely happens. I find some professionals in the comic scene that somehow knew about this work, like somewhere down the line, because they're, they were so voraciously a part of the scene during that time. They know of Armageddon quest, but readers fucking a, I cannot yeah. find readers who ever noticed this comic. And I don't know why they just, so they weird. just didn't. Well, get out to Kickstarter. Um, please go to ArmageddonQuest.com and, you know, read through the Kickstarter and help us out. Get us over that hump. We love being at 1666, but we need to get to three. <laughs> and it's uh, till February 14th, guys. I think it's early on February 14th. It ends like noon or something like that. So really yeah. February 13th. We have six days left to uh, raise the final... 44%. I think we're 56% raised and 44% to go. That is not unheard of whatsoever on Kickstarter campaigns until those final days, but I just make my life easier. <laughs> Don't make me hey, sweat hey, so many bullets. <laughs> and listen, if you if you're not in a position to 
actually purchase and get into it, then share it out. Share it out on your social yes, medias please. and your Facebook, your Twitters. That does more help than you know because maybe New if you're not into it, it or if you can't afford it, it yet, yeah, one of your friends might might love it yeah. and might be into it. So give it a yeah. chance. All right, guys. I think that's it for today. I really appreciate you coming in and 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 signing on and and hanging out with us, Dave. I it was it's always awesome to hang out with you. Yes, so that was fun. <laughs> uh, don't forget, everybody listening out there, open the mind, read more. Spaghetti.